Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty. So you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash I do. What's going on, guys? Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. I really enjoyed my conversation today with Kate Laurie. 
Kate is a sex-positive, licensed marriage and family therapist with a specialty in non-monogamous, kink, LGBTQ, and sex worker communities. In addition to her master's in marriage and family therapy, she also has an MBA and is a registered art therapist. And today we talk about consensual non-monogamy. And Kate has also been a practitioner herself of consensual non-monogamy since 2003. So I think that's important in listening to her and she's drawing on her experience personally and in her work with her clients. And we talk about how to navigate it, whether you're in it right now, you're just curious or you're beginning to start. There's lots of things to be aware of and, and things that can make it hard that Kate touches on. And it's a really broad topic because there's all kinds of ways to structure a consensually non-monogamous relationship. So we cover a lot broadly, um, but I think you guys will really enjoy today's show. Uh, like I said, whether you're new to it or experienced and have been practicing for years. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We hope you're having a wonderful day, evening, night, wherever you're listening to this show. Sending you lots of love if you're struggling through a breakup or just trying to figure things out because one of the things Kate says is just to understand that you're having a human experience and sometimes things get hard and difficult and that you are not alone. And that's why I love doing this show, to be able to get the information for myself, share it with you guys, and, and to tell you that you are not alone. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, Kate. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Today, we're going to talk about consensual non-monogamy, and you've written a book about it. You're a licensed therapist and a practitioner of non-monogamy, so I think you are the perfect person to talk to about this through your own experiences and that of your clients. So let's start with having you tell our listeners how you define consensual non-monogamy. Well, I, I think when you... As far as consensual non-monogamy goes, I think for someone who doesn't understand or know that much about non-monogamy, uh, you know, um, sometimes they think it's a free-for-all. I'll actually give an example. Sometimes if I'm at a party and it's more of a, a party with people that are monogamous, um, they very quickly will make some joke that uh, not, you know, that indicates that a non-monogamous person doesn't have any boundaries. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll usually give them a reply that kind of teases them about that. Like, so when you imagine walk, walking into a non-monogamous party, do you imagine like this, this big free for all in the middle of the living room and somebody like grabs you and pulls you in and they'll kind of sit there with their wine and kind of giggle and be like, yeah. And I'm like, well, actually it's not like that at all. In fact, it's all about boundaries. So consensual non-monogamy is all about everything being above board. So there's not any deception or lies and all along things are negotiated out and, and ideally feelings and, and thoughts and, and, and how your partner is reacting is a constant dialogue. So we make sure that all partners involved 
feel heard and feel that they're in the loop. Let's talk about those boundaries. So we understand it's not a free for all. Okay. So what kind of boundaries get put in? And obviously it's going to be up to every individual and, and couple, but can you give some examples? Yeah. Like, well, let's think about a continuum. Um, so non-monogamy on the left side of our continuum might be people that are in the swing lifestyle. So those people may, uh, be uh, emotionally and romantically monogamous, but sexually non-monogamous. And usually they play together, you know, in some way, either with a couple or a group sex or another individual. Um, But a lot of times they've set a boundary to attempt not to fall in love or catch feelings for other people, right? And then if we look at the far right of the continuum, you might be talking about polyamory and then an extreme form of polyamory might be all living together in a house, you know, and sharing child rearing uh, responsibilities, how non-monogamy can look and how that relationship forms has to do with the boundaries that have been formed and, and set up. You know, the boundary that's common is if a couple that's in a primary relationship, meaning they prioritize themselves, uh, the two of them over any any other uh, people that might be involved, they might have a rule that if they're texting someone else, that both of them are included. So if they're texting another couple, it's a four-way text thread where everyone can see the text, you know, so everything is above board, you know, and, and everyone is included. Um, you know, there's all kinds of different boundaries that you can set. That's just one example. And I could talk on that for days. If there's a particular area that you'd like me to talk about boundaries where, you know, like boundaries with people in the swing lifestyle versus people that are polyamorous, I can, I can talk about different camps and what their boundaries might be. Yes. Let's dig into some of these. Obviously, there's a lot of different ways we could go. I guess, let's say someone's listening and they're they're trying to do non-monogamy better or they're interested in trying it out. How do you, I guess, just decide? Because the boundaries are whatever you decide they are, what you're comfortable, not comfortable with to an extent. So how do you begin? Maybe you could give an example from your own personal journey into it. How do you begin setting the boundaries if you've never been there before, you know? Well, I can do a little bit of both. I can talk about it in generality and I can talk about myself. Um, In a general sense, I'd say on an individual level, I would invite anyone out there listening to think about your own backstory. Now, the more you have a backstory that is secure, you know, where you felt loved, where the people that were supposed to love you had your back and showed up for you, the easier non-monogamy is going to be because you don't have that many attachment injuries. The more you have a backstory in which you know, you felt betrayed or you watched your loved ones be betrayed, the more you look back on your backstory and say, the world has taught me that it's not a safe place, the more non-monogamy is going to be hard for you. That doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you probably want to pump the brakes a lot, go slower, track your body, 
practice mindfulness, practice meditation, and make sure you have a partner that is really loving and compassionate. You do not want to be hooked up with a, a partner with narcissism if this is your backstory, you know? And, and so a lot of how you start off may be indicative of what your past is because that will help you know how slow you need to go. And if you have partners that have a lot of injuries in their backstory, um, again, I would invite that person to pump the brakes and go slow out of compassion for that partner. Um, in terms of my own backstory, uh, before I became non-monogamous, I had had an 11-year monogamous relationship. Um, so I know what it is to have a very long-term relationship that's monogamous. And then after that, I had a 13-year non-monogamous relationship and marriage. Um, when I first got introduced to it, I was new to LA. I was raised in the deep South, even though my family was, you know, uh, very open-minded, not your typical Southern family at all. Um, but still it's like, I, I hooked up with this LA artist and within a month, he's like, why don't we try non-monogamy? And I was like, what? You know, <laughs> but that was way back in uh, 2003. That was a long time ago. And so uh, we started out in the swing lifestyle back then. Now I would say I'm more solo poly at this point. But this, for me, the swing lifestyle was an easier start point because it was just sexual non-monogamy. For me to start out with being also emotionally non-monogamous, which is, you know, being poly, that would have been harder for me. But not everybody's like that. So for some people, poly is easier than the swing lifestyle because that deeper connection is easier for them than to imagine uh, just uh, having that lighter recreational sex that comes with the swing lifestyle. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Money is one of the biggest stressors in relationships. While worrying about it doesn't help a ton, Earnin actually does. Our sponsor, Earnin, is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Many couples end up fighting about finances, especially when surprise costs arise. Earnin allows you to seamlessly deal with that unexpected trip to the vet or the last minute gift for loved ones without any stress, letting you and your partner focus on what really matters. Earnin is helping millions of Americans to feel self-sufficient and to worry and fight less about money. All of this without debt trap, mandatory fees, or credit checks. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, -N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download Earnin app, type in relationship advice under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show. That's relationship advice under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. When you work full-time, have kids, and run a podcast, it's hard to make time for a multiple-step skincare protocol. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. Let me repeat it. They make it easy 
No complicated routine, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. If you're looking for skincare products that are simple and effective, for a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first OneSkin purchase when using the code IDO when you check out at oneskin.co. I've been using OneSkin's body lotion for about a month, and I've already seen noticeable improvements with small wrinkles and textures on my skin, specifically on the back of my neck and the back of my hands, two places where I get a lot of sun. Plus, my skin looks and feels healthier all around. It's all thanks to OneSkin's revolutionary OS-01 peptide, the first ingredient proven to deactivate aging cells responsible for lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. Unlike traditional skincare products that only mask symptoms, OneSkin pioneered a new approach integrating tissue engineering and cutting-edge science to enhance skin biology for lasting resilience against aging. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using the code IDO at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code IDO. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support your show and tell them we sent you. You mentioned uh, attachment injuries and being aware of them. And we've talked about attachment theory, had whole episodes dedicated to it. I think it's really important to understand, uh, certainly if you're going to get into non-monogamy, but even if you're not, it's really important to understand. Would you advise people that if they are insecurely attached, and you said to tread lightly, but maybe non-monogamy is not really for them in a sense. Uh, What's your stance there? You know, I I think, so let's face it, most therapists out there uh, have a monogamous bias. Like I've, I've run into plenty of therapists, famous therapists, who even on stage in front of 300 therapists listening have said bigoted statements regarding non-monogamy. So um, so there's going to be a lot of people, you know, a language out there from therapists saying that, saying, yeah, you shouldn't do that. But, and I can understand their lens. They're thinking, okay, if somebody has had a lot of attachment injuries, they need to have that secure base with one person in which to heal. But another way you could think about it is that someone with a lot of attachment injuries that, has trouble um, trusting any one person, if they have a security net of more than one lover who actually cares about them, then actually that security net is actually more helpful. Again, if they choose wisely and have kind partners, right? So if they get into a fight with one partner, they still have at least one other partner that cares about them that they can turn to. Um, And that creates actually ideally more stability than if they just had one go-to for everything and they get into a fight and they don't have anybody that, you know, I mean, yeah, you could argue that you could go to um, a best friend, but there is something about being able to have another lover that you're close with that you can turn to that really is nice to have, you know, when you're, when you're hurting. 
That makes sense. You could argue either side. All I can tell you is that for people that identify as non-monogamous, even even if they have a bad backstory or or let's say it's not about a bad, bad backstory, maybe they struggle with depression or anxiety. That doesn't stop people from choosing non-monogamy. Just like if an, you know, if you said to an artist, oh, well, you have a mood disorder. You shouldn't try and be an artist. Being an artist is a hard life. That, that artist is not going to decide not to be an artist just because they have a mood disorder. Similarly, if someone identifies as non-monogamy, as non-monogamous, they're probably still going to proceed even if they have a bad backstory or they struggle with a mood disorder. Because that's just who they are a lot of times. Right. Let's say someone is exploring non-monogamy. They're, in, they're not experienced. What are some of the big mistakes that people make that we want to help them avoid if they're listening right now? Gosh, we could talk on that for for days, but um, you know, I, I think sometimes, how should I put it? If you have two people that are going into non-monogamy that are securely attached, then their mistakes, um, quote unquote mistakes, are going to be probably lesser mistakes, right? Because they already have that secure base. But a lot of times in relationships, regardless of the model, whether it's monogamous or non-monogamous, you have people that attract to each other where one person is kind of an over, quote, you know, you could call it an overtaker and one is an overgiver and they tend to date each other. So if someone is an overgiver and they're non-monogamous, they have a tendency to say yes when their yes is not a true yes. And they have a tendency to do that repeatedly. And over time, that mounts into being kind of low-key trauma that they don't recognize. And if they're dating an overtaker, you know, somebody with some mild narcissism or what have you, that's always pushing them that, you know, further and telling them that they're being selfish and controlling when they try and set a boundary. Again, trauma can mount over time, you know, um, that's not even recognized a lot of times. So in that kind of dynamic, um, you know, that's probably one of the most harmful dynamic dynamics you can find. There's plenty of people that have been non-monogamous for decades that are incredibly happy and really feel non-monogamy has lit up their life and made their life better and more exciting and more sustainably sexy. But there are folks out there in these overtaker, overgiver scenarios where one person is trying to be kind of like good poly. They're trying to be that model of that person that is not controlling and all of this hat, this sort of thing. And uh, in the process, they're saying yes when it's true, yes. So basically, not checking in with themselves and communicating, hey, this is a boundary. This is something that doesn't feel good and just going along with it. Yeah, a lot of times what happens is they rely on their intellect too much. So, you know, the overtaker might say, well, I want to sleep with, you know, this other person over here. They've always been nice to both of us. They've always been respectful. There's no logical reason why I shouldn't be able to. And the overgiver will just think logically, well, that's true. This person has always been kind to to both of us. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and I, I shouldn't control you. You're a free human being. You know, yeah, it's, go and see this person, but they're not checking in with their body and noticing that knife drop inside their gut. You know, they're staying up in their head. They're pushing down their feelings and disowning their feelings, noticing that they have all this anxiety and all that. And if the over giver starts to track their emotions and their body sensation and just hits pause and says, you know what, can I come back in a couple of days and 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 let you know how I feel about this or in a, in a couple of hours and is able to sit with it and go, what does that knife drop in my gut mean? Oh, okay. And then is able to come back to their partner and say, you know what, our anniversary is coming up in a couple of, of, of days. Can you wait a couple of weeks past our anniversary to see this person, you know, or you've never spent the night with this per with anybody. Can you come back at 2 a.m. so we can wake up in the morning together? They're able, if they are able to make that ask that will only come from tracking your body and really checking in emotionally, then from that place, their non-monogamous journey will be way happier. And of course, you have to consider all people involved, including the person that your partner wants to see, because we're all humans and we don't want to uh, operate from a place of couples privilege. Um, but that usually is a game changer if you slow down and track your body. And, and I'll have to admit, in my own personal life, for a good 10 years of being non-monogamous, I was that person that only made intellectual choices. And it did mount inside of me in a negative way. And as soon as I started to track not just my thoughts, but my body sensations and my emotions, and I made decisions from a grounded place in those three arenas, my life changed and got so much better. There's so much to unpack because there are so many ways to structure this. I guess I'm curious, let's say you're non-monogamous and you mentioned like having a conversation with their partner about seeing this other person. Like that's just an example of a, of a, let's call it a rule that's, that's been created. Do you find that that is the healthiest dynamic as opposed to like, don't ask, don't tell that's, it seems like that kind of would not work if you have a primary relationship wouldn't be super healthy. Yeah, with don't ask, don't tell, this is the problem with don't ask, don't, don't tell. Um, and I've seen this over and over again in my private practice. And I'll give you an analogy. Let's say uh, Andy and Megan are there, you know, 28, you know, around 28-ish. And they're at a beautiful dinner and they're all in love. They've been dating for about a couple of years. And on that dinner, uh, you know, Megan says to Andy, you know, I, I, I love you. I just want you to be happy. You don't have to tell me everything. I trust you. I love you. And he's like, really? Are you sure? And she said, yes. And on that night, a, a don't ask, don't tell relationship has begun. And in her mind, she tells herself a story. This is, this is, as humans, this is what we do. We tell ourselves stories. So in her head, she thinks, oh, well, when he's on a business trip, he'll probably see someone once a year or something like that, you know? And then 10 years deep, Andy finally says to her, you know, I understand that we set up this don't ask, don't tell relationship. But at this point, I have to tell you what's going on. I've been dating Amanda for two years. I'm in love with her and I want us to be Polly. Now, what happened to her is that 
all these moments that she could have adjusted over time if everything was open have been robbed from her. And all of a sudden she's finding out 10 years of information in one blow and it will land like a Hiroshima bomb on her. And she won't, you know, that's what happens when you don't have a don't ask, don't tell policy. A lot of times the chickens come to roost eventually and you end up being told so much emotional information all at once that it, it, it can be very devastating. So I never recommend the toenails don't tell policy ever, ever. You said earlier about communicating and you're in open and you said something about catching feelings and that, that grabbed my attention because let's say some couple out there is like, yeah, let's be sexually non-monogamous, but emotionally we're not, we're monogamous to me, that is tricky because it's like sexual, physical act of having sex with another person is just like, okay, that that's like a clear thing. We're, we're going to have sex. Okay. But the emotions that I feel a lot of times may inevitably come up. How do you deal with that? And how do you go, oh, okay, whoa, I'm noticing, I'm starting to like this person outside of just a casual sexual encounter. Do you know what I mean? Like it it seems very nuanced and tricky. Indeed it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, Well, I'll say this for couples that I've known at this point, I have some informal longitudinal studies in my head because I know so many people that have been non-monogamous and I've known them since I was like, you know, since 2003-ish, you know, and so I know for a fact that there's like folks in the swing lifestyle that have been uh, in that lifestyle for a good 20 years and been able to maintain those boundaries because basically they are just playing together, right? So that can be a lot easier to maintain that boundary, but even then, you know, People can have that love at first sight thing happen, you know, but it does, it does help if that's your intention. You know, if your intention is not to catch feelings, always playing together helps as a boundary. As soon as you decide to play separately, to say, oh, well, we just won't fall in love. To me, that's a form of denial. It's, it's like believing that you're a robot or something. What I find is a lot of times couples think that they can do that. But when they do fall in love, they don't want to back the truck up, you know. And usually at that point, a conversation happens where one person will say, um, you know, I I know we always had this rule, but I think I want us to be poly now. That's what usually happens. So I think it's best not to be in denial about that, that if you're going to play separately, that's really going to up the chance that you might eventually catch feelings for somebody or fall full to in love with somebody else. Right. I mean, that, that was my intuition. It's like separating sex and emotions. I mean, to me, it, it can be purely physical, but that's a tricky line. And you know, personally, I like to feel emotionally connected to someone that I'm having sexual relations with. I know that's not everyone and I don't want to speak for, for everyone, but I, I think that's common. So what I hear you saying is saying like, okay, we're going to be open. We're going to have sexual encounters and let's communicate if 
we are starting to have feelings for another person. Let's talk about that together. And then maybe we'll explore polyamory. Is that a healthy way to approach it? I mean, yeah, a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of people that have a hard time with that feedback. I mean, not everybody, a lot of people can be realistic and realize that, you know, uh, catching feelings and, and, and forming a connection with others is, um, you know, it's just common sense that that might happen. But for other people there, I've had, I've had people argue with me and, and I've had people say, no, that's not going to happen. You know, that, that not us. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and then down the road, all of a sudden they're like, okay, Kate, uh, never mind. You're right <laughs> about that. You know? Um, uh, so, you know, it, I, I think that when you do decide to play separately and you have admitted that feelings might come on board, another thing to be aware of is or one danger for couples that are trying to maintain a hierarchy um, is something that I call typecasting. For one thing, this whole idea of hierarchy is it's really, it's actually another form of denial in some ways, because a lot of times, regardless of whether you want to have a hierarchy in your non-monogamous relationship or your non-hierarchical, meaning everybody's kind of treated on even footing, actually different lovers end up being primary in different ways. Um, and a lot of times if the originally the primary couple does not make sure that they nurture their relationship in three ways, intellectually, emotionally, and sexually, then that other lover that's new and fresh oftentimes ends up being primary in maybe some ways that you didn't sign on board for. Like a lot of times the outside lover will end up being the sexual primary and the uh, and then the person that you're living with, kind of your nesting partner, ends up being your primary in terms of the person that you are growing old with planning retirement with the person that shows up at the hospital, you know, but you can get in front of that by continuing to nurture your primary relationship emotionally, intellectually, and sexually, and keeping those things strong. And then the, the outside lovers will not be a threat, but actually a beautiful addition to your life. So you really can't phone this stuff in. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. If you're tuning into today's show, you're probably aware that mental health and relationship challenges are a part of life, but they don't have to define you and you're not alone. If you've ever wished that you could join a conversation with an expert and call into a show in a similar vein as relationship advice, here's an opportunity for you. If you're navigating something messy, call the Dr. John Deloney show. His show recently hit top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts, and for a good reason. With a PhD in counseling and two decades of experience sitting with people, Dr. Deloney brings practical advice on how to connect with others, face depression, overcome anxiety, and find true wellness. This caller-driven show tackles real-life issues from relationships to emotional well-being. Dr. Deloney walks alongside people just like you as they navigate tough decisions. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. 
send your questions, leave a voicemail at 844-693-3291 or email askjohn at ramseysolutions.com. They want to talk to you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on our website. Do you want to know one of my favorite meals? It's a slice of toasted bread with tomato, mozzarella, basil, olive oil, salt and pepper, and a little drizzle of balsamic glaze. Makes my heart happy. It's so simple. It's so delicious. And I love that all the ingredients get to show off their individual flavors. I used to eat it all the time as my easy go-to meal. And then all of a sudden, there was a ton of messaging out there telling me that I shouldn't eat carbs and that I shouldn't eat bread and that bread is bad. And I hate to admit it, but I cut out bread entirely for the longest time. And it wasn't until recently that I started to understand that not all bread is created equal. Hero Bread makes those same delicious favorites free of consequences or compromises. They've remade carby, empty calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and fewer calories, plus protein and fiber. I highly recommend that you give their bread a try. They're giving Relationship Advice listeners 10% off when you visit Hero. .co and use the code I do at checkout. I was so excited to discover Hero Bread. It's truly amazing and they've made a product that is tasty and soft while having 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 0 grams of sugar and high in fiber. I'm not going to lie, their white bread is so good and it makes the best tomato and mozzarella sandwich. Last week, Stella and I were back in Florida visiting our family and we all walked to the lake and the only bread we had in the house was hero bread. So we grabbed a slice, walked to the lake, and by the time we got there, Stella had eaten the whole piece of bread and of course, wanted more. So the poor ducks didn't get any hero bread, but Stella did. Since I had cut out bread for a while, every time I ate low quality bread, my body felt bad. It felt bloated and I didn't feel great. But with Hero Bread, I feel good after eating it, which makes my life so much easier because now I can go back to my easy grab and go sandwiches when I'm on the run. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code I do at checkout. That's I do at H E R O dot C O. What would you say to someone listening who is like, man, this seems complicated. It seems like there's a lot to navigate and that it's more stress than it's worth, even though it sounds interesting to me. Obviously, it's not for everyone, but what's your thoughts on that? Well, I would always suggest that people go slow. A lot of people, when they first start out with non-monogamy, they are excited and they want to run, skip, leap, do backflips down the path of non-monogamy. And I'm always encouraging them to go slower. You know, just go and listen to a talk at your local sex toy store. A lot of times, different places like that will have talks on non-monogamy. Read some books, start off slow. If you're thinking about doing something in the swing lifestyle, just go on a non-sexual date, go to dinner with another couple, 
and just have it be a chemistry check. Don't tell them that you're new and, you know, and just have a dinner with another couple, see how it feels or get on a dating site and just look at other couples and talk about it and have it be flirty fun. You know, or if you're poly, you can go to like here in Los Angeles, there's poly cocktails and you can go and just meet people and and chat with them and see how the vibe feels, connect to community without being goal oriented and without really moving forward and just kind of sit in it and have conversations for a while before you move forward at all. You know, it doesn't have to be this fast process. If you go slow, it gives you time to process each next thing rather than stacking all these experiences on top of each other and not being able to process through. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's really valuable. Let's talk about jealousy because obviously that seems to be, as a, as an outsider, the number one threat, the number one thing that has that pit of your stomach feeling of like uh, sharing your intimate partner. How do you think about that? How do you work with couples through that? And, and what's the value in pushing yourself to, to be more secure and, and deal with jealousy? Yeah, well, I think first off, we have to understand that jealousy is a complex emotion. So if you unpack jealousy for any given person, when you unpack the jealousy suitcase, what's inside is going to look different. So, you know, inside of jealousy, you know, uh, might be anger, uh, fear of abandonment, like all these different things. And so when I'm talking to a client and they say, I feel jealous, I always unpack it to find out what is inside the suitcase, so to speak. Um, And once you get more specific about what they're feeling, then a lot of times I also try and pinpoint a moment where they felt jealous and, and then unpack that as well. So if they're feeling jealous, like for instance, I'll give you an example. Say Allison feels jealous of, of Sarah when Allison, Allison and Bob go to the the play party and Bob is flirting with Sarah the whole night and ignoring Allison, who is his nesting partner, his primary, um, you know, and in the morning she's really sad and, and feels upset about that situation. Instead of her just saying, I'm, I'm just this, this petty, jealous person, maybe she needs to unpack it. Look at what the antecedent was to her jealousy. The antecedent, the thing that that happened right before she felt jealous was a series of Bob paying more attention to Sarah throughout the night. And oh, oh, by the way, it was Allison's birthday that night, you know? Um, So when she looks into her heart and she notices that, then she can look at that antecedent and go, who played a part in this? And this is not for the purpose of shifting blame or, or, or anything like that. It's for the purpose of working through. And maybe the responsibility lies in two camps. The first camp is maybe Bob could have done better to make sure his attention was even between Sarah and Allison, you know, if they have a non-monogamous relationship. And let's say Allison had other lovers too, right? So it's not like she's 
<laughs> just with Bob, right? So he could have done a better job balancing between Sarah and Allison. That's that's kind of his responsibility. But then Allison gets in touch with her emotions and her feelings. And then she bridges back to the first or worst memory she can think of where she felt like that. So it's not necessarily a memory that's uh, similar in story. It's similar in how she felt. And she thinks back once she gets connected to that night and she she feels the sad, sadness, the jealousy, all that. And she remembers a time when she was in a car with her parents and they stopped at a gas station and she went to go to the bathroom. And when she came out, her parents had driven off with her sister because her sister was making the parents laugh so hard that they forgot her. And this happened a lot. So she has a backstory in which her sister was always paid attention to more than her. And so that's her work. That's a trigger for her that can come up within non-monogamy. And she may need to go to a therapist and do some EMDR to work through that part that's her responsibility. That's her injury and she needs to work through that. So in this case, with jealousy, you know, there's the part that she needs to work on. And then the part with Bob, she needs to talk to him and say, you know, that wasn't cool for you to spend all this whole night talking to Sarah and not attending to me. And so that part Bob needs to work on. Do you do you see how managing jealousy in this case is actually it, it it actually involves two people. It's not all on her to work through it. Exactly. And understanding our backstories and that's where I think these kinds of relationship containers are appealing for for lots of different reasons, but it's certainly going to be a magnifier of Jealousy, you know, I'm just thinking of that emotion primarily. Communication is is going to be even more important. You know, in a monogamous relationship, it's super important. But now in a non-monogamous one, there's just more going on. There's more to coordinate. So you have, let's say, a primary relationship. You have that communication, which is super important. But now you're having to communicate about extra boundaries that you're putting in or checking in with how you're feeling. And that can be a, a valuable thing to be a magnifier of that. Do you find that non-monogamy, it kind of does that? Absolutely. You know, it, it definitely pokes at our unresolved attachment injuries more than monogamy does. You know, uh, assuming if you hold both things equal, like say you have if you compare a, a couple that's monogamous that are both kind to each other and compassionate, and then you compare that to a couple with a hierarchical non-monogamous relationship, and again, they are kind and compassionate to each other. If you hold those things equal, then non-monogamy is still going to poke at attachment injuries more. You know, And so because of that, discussions within non-monogamy can get more heated. With non-monogamous conversations, it becomes even more uh, important that you understand how to ground yourself and take time out when you're having a conversation and make sure that you're in your resilient zone, a place where you're not in the higher or the low zone as you go through the conversation. So you may still be using some skills like the Imago Dialogue, empathizing, validating, and mirroring but you are adding in the skill of grounding exercises all through it, knowing how to ground yourself and also learning how to ground your partner 
and also learning how to do a proper timeout that's kind so that you can modulate your body, stay in your resilient zone and actually have your communication skills work for you. Well, Kate, obviously we could talk, as you said, for days about this because there are so many different things that can come up and so many ways to approach non-monogamy. But I think we covered a lot here today. Before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? And if there's anything you want to leave them with or something that we skipped over that you want to emphasize, and then we'll say goodbye. Well, um, as far as where you can find me, well, first off, let me just say that I do have a book that's coming out. It's called Open Deeply. And a lot of the things that I talked about today are in the book and way more. It's definitely a book that goes a lot deeper than some of the books that are out right now. And it piles all my knowledge of of all of this stuff from about 20 years of being a therapist into this one book and everything is through a non-monogamous lens, but it can help anybody regardless of what their relationship model is. Um, as far as where you can find me, you can find me on Instagram or TikTok, TikTok under Open Deeply with Kate Larie. Um, you can find my book wherever books are sold and you know it's on Amazon as well. Uh, my website is katelarie.com. That's Kate, K-A-T-E, Larie, L-O-R-E-E. Twitter and Facebook, it's Kate Lurie, LMFT. Um, and then I have an Open Deeply podcast. And as far as what I would leave people with, um, I would just say that, you know, they always say that communication is the most important thing within non-monogamy. I would say compassion is. Compassion leads even over communication because, I mean, let's face it, you can think about two lawyers that if they were dating each other, they might be stellar at stellar talkers. But if you don't have the communicate, if you don't have the compassion there, it's still going to be a crash and burn, right? Exactly. You know, com- compassion within non-monogamy is the thing that needs to lead. And that compassion needs to be compassion for yourself and your partner concurrently. It shouldn't be one or the other. It should be both. And that can be hard to do at times, to do both at the same time. But that's where it needs to be in order to be successful in non-monogamy. Well, thank you so much, Kate. That's a great place to leave this conversation. Our listeners can find all the links to your website and to your book in our show notes and on our website at idopodcast.com. And thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you so much. And I wish all of your listeners the very best on their journey, whatever it might be from monogamy to non-monogamy. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. As always, all the links to the guest as well as any of their recommendations will be in the show notes page. You can find the link to that in the episode description or by going to idopodcast.com. Click on the podcast tab up at the top and you will have access to all the episodes that we've ever done. There are over 300 of them. Uh, And while you're on our website, if you haven't checked out our free 14-day happy couple challenge... We really hope you do. It's a free email challenge that we send to you. It's 14 days of fun, easy, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. 
And if you're looking for something that provides a little more help with working on your relationship, whether it's improving intimacy or communication with your partner, or just bringing the spark back, we would love for you guys to check out our online course, Spark My Relationship. We're offering $100 off to all of our listeners if you go to sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. We've worked with over 15 psychologists and therapists to create the real life tools and strategies that they are teaching their clients. So we wanted to give them to you. It's a self-paced online course that can be done in as little as a month or up to three months. You can really decide how much or how little you want to do with your partner or maybe just yourself. So we hope you guys check that out. It's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Have a great day. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.